This week, we boldly introduce a new acronym to the industry. Free ad-supported TV, or FAST, is currently all the rage, but an unintended consequence of FAST's growth may be the accelerated SVOD losses on the way, what we call slow. Listen on to find out why. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News. And of course, that was Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media at the top. Hey, Colin, are you recovered from the Niners' loss? I am. I have to say that uh, the Niners got about as unlucky in a football game as you can get, getting down to your fifth stringer on on quarterback. But, uh, oh, Philly were tough. And uh, my money's on Philly for for the victory. They looked really good in offense really good in defense they did in the previous game they're gonna I think they're gonna go all the way you like Jalen Hurts over Patrick Mahomes that's a uh that is not an easy call to make Colin it's not uh no Chiefs have got a great offense but uh it's always defenses that seem to make the difference in in the Super Bowl and Philly's got it in spades well, it's going to be a fun one to watch for sure. So should we, we've got a lot of ground to cover today. We certainly do. I'm going to think I'm going to get started with a news item, our, our news item segment, um, yep. noting something that I just read. We're recording today on Thursday. I read today in the journal, which I thought was particularly exciting. It's an area that you and I have not spoken about too much, but I think is going to have a lot of potential and has already been proven in in China and other countries in Asia, which is the intersection of video and commerce. And specifically, the news that I read is that Fanatics, which many of our listeners will probably know and recognize, a large e-commerce company that uh, operates in the sports area. So everything from all kinds of sports merchandise, memorabilia, they acquired the tops collectibles collection, which harkens me back to my youth when I used to buy baseball cards by the dozen, and they were all branded by Topps because they had the exclusive franchise. Anyway, Fanatics is launching a new initiative called Fanatics Live, and they have hired a person who, uh, his name is Nick Bell, who has experience at both Google and Snap to be the leader of this new initiative called Fanatics Live which they didn't share a ton of details about, but it's kind of going to operate at the, again, the intersection of commerce and video. A lot of unboxing videos that collectors are going to do. They're going to be, the cards then going to be available for sale. They're going to make a real spectacle about uh, and generate excitement around the uh, opening of cards and, and other collectibles and try to generate commerce from it. And I think it's a great idea. I think it's right on the money for what Fanatics should be doing. Uh, We have not seen the intersection yet of commerce and video in a big way here in the U.S., but it's, as I mentioned, huge in China and other uh, countries in Asia in particular. So I'm I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to seeing more about it, learning more about it. Yeah, 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 me too. Um, It seems to me like it's the evolution of the shopping channel. Uh, yeah. it, it taps yeah. into one of the most popular, persistently popular categories on YouTube. And uh, yeah, I love it. I think we've got the interactivity that we need in the platforms, in the online platforms. And I think it's going to be very popular and very, very profitable. So yeah, this guy's got his, I think he's got his finger on the pulse, Will. 
Okay, well, good. How about your news item this week? Well, mine is a little bit more directly in our usual wheelhouse. This is the announcement by Paramount Global. CEO Bob Backish announced that they are basically uh, wrapping Showtime into Paramount+. Plus. And so going forward, well, uh, it actually it'll happen later this year, they're going to shut down the, sh- the Showtime streaming service. It will cease operations. And to get Showtime, you will need to, to have Paramount+. Plus. Now, the way this is going to work is that right now, you have Showtime at $10.99 a month. You're going to end up paying just $1 more, at least at the start, for Paramount Plus with Showtime. You'll have Paramount Plus with ads and Showtime without ads for $11.99. And you can get that for $14.99 without ads in Paramount Plus in, in the bundle. So as I say, this is going to happen later this year they've not been exactly clear when it will happen specifically but this is i think one of the first times that we've seen a an old tv brand basically shut down in the in the new world of the internet and i'm thinking maybe we're seeing a sort of rehearsal or not a rehearsal but a trial of the concept that water brothers discovery wants to execute with hbo and Discovery Plus. So very interesting to see how this happens. Yeah, I agree. I think it's another proof point of how media companies are trying to bundle their various services, simplify things for consumers, hopefully add some stickiness, reduce churn, compete better in a very crowded marketplace. So no surprise uh, I think the you know sticky wicket here is, as you said, what the pricing ends up sorting out as for existing subscribers of Showtime, Paramount Plus, HBO Max, Discovery Plus, etc. Because we talked about this a few weeks ago, and no subscriber enjoys getting hit with a gigantic price increase for content that they had not otherwise chosen to subscribe to previously. That's not fun for anybody. And these companies need to kind of ease the pain of getting these subscribers into that mode. And it's, I think it's a tricky business. Yeah, I think it is too. Um, I should say that at that entry level, the eleven ninety nine level, where you get Paramount Plus and you get Showtime, the Paramount Plus will be with ads and the Showtime content you will still watch without ads. Um, and then you can get everything without ads for $14.99. So uh, yes, it's. I think it's a, a big move and uh, we'll, we'll have to see. I just, I'm not confident that they will keep it at $11.99 for long. I have a feeling that will be, the price increase will come sometime in the following year. Uh, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Right, so let's get on with our main topic. And our main topic this week is we're going to be talking a lot about the impact of fasts on SVOD. And I think both Will and I have some concerns about what it's actually going to do. But you're going to kick us off with um, with something that happened this week. Go ahead, Will. I am. So, Colin, we're all of us in the industry are very well aware of this concept of fast, free ad-supported TV. It's, I would argue, one of, if not the most buzziest terms in the industry right now. And we've spent time on prior podcasts talking about what, fa- you know, what fasts are and how they fit into the market. 
we've seen just tons and tons of launches of fast channels by branded um, studios and TV networks and digital first companies. And there are some very optimistic projections about the amount of ad revenue that FAST are going to generate for media owners going forward. I've been a fan of FAST. I think anything that gives consumers more choice and opens up opportunity is a positive. So I think that's all to the good. But what started to occur to me, and I'll talk about what really catalyzed it, this, this thinking this week, what really started to occur to me is that in a world where more and better programming is available for free to viewers via these fast services, fast channels, the more and better that's available that somehow at some point, given the fixed factor of 24 hours in a given day, that what will happen eventually is that viewers will come to expect that all this great stuff is available for free and that that will act in a way to suppress their interest in paying for services. So there isn't like a one for one or things going off the cliff type of thing, but rather just as we've seen with cord cutting, consumers generally have some type of a working budget for how much they're willing to spend. And they loosely keep track of how they're spending their time. What are they watching every night or every other night? What's popular and valuable to them? And to the extent that they begin to realize that they're watching more free stuff, they will naturally display, that time will displace some of the time they're using on paid services. And that's followed with cord cutting. And it's something that is, you know, I think a very natural human reaction. And so the term that I want to introduce today is a new acronym, as if our industry needs another acronym. But um, the acronym that I'm using to kind of think about this phenomenon is the acronym SLOW, S-L-O-W, which stands for SVOD losses on the way, S5 losses on the way, slow. And the idea that this proliferation of all of these uh, services, these fast services channels, will start to have an impact on the market and they will start to cause elevated churn by among paid services, among SVOD services. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot, like over the last couple of months or so, but as I said, it really crystallized this week because Warner Brothers Discovery announced deals with both Tubi and the Roku channel. And it appears on the surface that the Tubi deal is a little more extensive than the Roku deal, although it's not exactly clear. But the nub of it is that Warner Brothers Discovery announced not long ago that they were pulling Westworld and other titles from HBO Max, and that instead they were going to distribute them in alternative channels. They didn't say what it was going to be at the time. This week they announced these deals with Tubi and, and um, Roku Channel, where Westworld and a lot of other programming is going to be distributed on those fast services versus within HBO Max. Now, you know, inherently there's nothing wrong with licensing programming to another service. That has happened since the beginning of time. 
in the cable business. In this case, though, we have Westworld, which I was not a fan of. I watched a couple of episodes early and just never got into it. But nonetheless, it aired for four seasons. It had 36 episodes. It was nominated for 54 Emmys. It won nine Emmys. It had the highest, when it debuted in October of 16, it had the highest, the biggest premiere audience on HBO in over two years, going back to 2014, the premiere of True Detective with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson, which was a fantastic show. But it also starred Anthony Hopkins, Ed Harris, Evan Rachel Wood, Aaron Paul. It was a real series for HBO. It wasn't a win like a Sopranos or a Sex in the City or a Game of Thrones, but it also was not a dud. And the audience deteriorated over the four years that it was on, um, apparently because of the quality of the show. And again, I don't know because I didn't watch it. But nonetheless, uh, it was based on a Michael Crichton book and film from the early 70s that was kind of like a cult uh, phenomenon. And HBO, Time Warner, uh, sorry, Warner Brothers basically said they were pulling it out of HBO Max um, because they wanted to save on residual payments to actors and producers. So here we now have the situation where Tubi being ubiquitously available, there are going to be tens and tens of millions of people who are going to be able to access Westworld and all the other shows and movies that are going into these fast channels free of charge, as fasts are, completely free of charge. And at some point, what I get concerned about is, again, this displacement thing, this idea of slow that SVOD losses are on the way as viewers shift their behavior. I think it's something that the industry really needs to be aware of and be very cautious about. And actually that sort of leads to, and I'll stop right here, it sort of leads to another piece of news this week, which is that Peacock kind of went in the opposite direction and announced this week that they were gonna discontinue their free tier of service, which is actually the thing that they focused on primarily when they launched Peacock less than three years ago. They made a big, big deal about Peacock being free, and here they are now uh, deciding that they're going to pull it off. And that suggested in some way to me that part of their thinking was that they recognize that long-term providing a free service, a fast service, was not in their interest. Short term, it was going to hurt them because Peacock Free has been a great feeder for people subscribing to Peacock Premium. So short term, they're going to take a hit. Uh, long term, it's in their strategic interest. And also looming for Peacock is that between 2022 and what's expected in 2023, they're going to lose $5.5 billion on Peacock. And my guess is that they did the analysis and realized that they can save money, big money, in one way or another by discontinuing the free service. And they just are looking to reduce Peacock costs in any way they can. And this became their decision. So anyway, I'm going to shut up at that point, Colin. I've said a lot, uh, introduced this new concept of slow. And, uh, you know, would love to get you back into the conversation and, and let's talk about it. Yeah, before we jump to the Peacock discussion in, in, in full, Will, 
I, too, am pretty surprised that Warner Brothers made this decision to put Westworld in these free services, in the fast services, uh, and broadly distribute it as they apparently appear to be doing. The thing that really pulls me up here is how do you explain to somebody who subscribed to HBO Max who is a fan of Westworld and they subscribed so that they could get access and watch that show and, and continue their relationship with that show. How do you explain to them now that, that they can't watch it anymore? That they have to go watch for free and watch with ads, which is not going to go down well, I can, sh- I can assure you, with that, with that fan base. So that's, I think that's a very difficult conversation. I have been a strong advocate for SVOD services to exploit and explore the opportunity that I think fast services present to them. But when I was thinking about it, I always thought about it in the same way as the broadcast industry has really addressed uh, syndication, where they've taken a a show that really has aged out and is not really doing very much for them on their own broadcast channel and they license that out to other other channels and allow them to broadcast it and use it and so i'd always imagined that the way svod services would use their library content is something in a similar way content that is basically providing them very little value in their library that they would license this out to fast services that's the first thing and I think that really is not what is going on here with Westworld this is something that I think still has a lot of value in the library of HBO Max and is a good reason for quite a number of people I imagine to be subscribed and continue to stay subscribed to what is when all said and done a quite expensive service so you know that that is I think a a big differentiator here um, okay, so so there's that. I, I do want to talk now about what Peacock did. So as you say, they've, they've withdrawn the free service, or at least no new people can sign up for the free service. Uh, people that are using it now can continue to use it. Uh, and they're going to allow people who cancel their subscription, who have a subscription to Peacock and cancel, they will be able to continue to access using the free tier. So uh, clearly they think it has some value in reclaiming customers and there's some translation, uh, some some building the funnel that will continue to go on. But um, yeah, I think the the only explanation I can come up for, come up with Will, why they would do what they have done is this slow effect that they're worried about in the long run, it's gonna slow the acquisition of paying subscribers not uh, not increase it which it clearly has but I to me this feels quite different to what Warner Brothers Discovery is doing and the reason is simple that the Comcast NBCU rather have complete control over the Peacock platform so they can really control the content that goes in the free tier and how they leverage that free tier to translate people into paying subscribers. There's, there's another, another thing here that I think is also very important, and that is that 
the fast market is growing extremely fast. I was looking at S&P data that basically had that market growing at a 23% CAGR um, between now and 2026, going from 4 billion in 2022 in the US to 9 billion in 2026, which is pretty fast growth. And I, you know, looking at other data, SFOD, SFOD revenue from subscriptions is only gonna grow at an 8% growth rate over the next, over that same, same period. So, there is a tremendous opportunity, I think, in the fast market. Peacock is doing quite well. It already has 30 plus million monthly active users. According to TiVo data, it already has a share of 16% or more of the total fast pie. Um, and it, it is growing extremely fast, far faster than the market leader, which is Pluto TV. So I think there's a good chance that if NBCU manages Peacock's fast uh, level, fast tier successfully, that they can have their cake and eat it, that they can enjoy the growth, the accelerated growth that the fast market is having, and also enjoy the funnel building effect of a free tier and see strong growth in subscribers the five million additional subscribers in the fourth quarter which is impressive growth in anybody's business you know to, to anybody so i i think in this case because they have complete control of the platform i'm surprised that they withdrew the free platform because it's a model that is clearly working so you know i think those are there, you know, there's a lot in what you just said that's worth, ex you know, I think examining closer. And I guess the first thing that comes to mind is that when you said that Peacock is doing really well, it, it's a fair point that Peacock has aggregated a, you know, respectable number of paying subscribers in its first few years of existence. There's, there's, there's nothing to take away from them. The problem is they're going to lose five and a half billion dollars on Peacock in a 24 month period, two and a half billion last year already on the books and another three billion loss that they're forecasting for this year. That's not sustainable. Wall Street has raised huge concerns about what the end goal is for Peacock, what their path to profitability is. Comcast, like all public companies, serves one master and one master only, and that's Wall Street. Wall Street guides everything. It is what determines the stock-based compensation for the entire senior executive team. If Wall Street does, is putting a discount on your stock because you're doing something that causes your company to hemorrhage money, which is what Peacock is doing, management will only do one thing, which is to figure out how to stem the bleeding. And my experience is that, you know, in recent history of capitalism, there's really only been one company that has been able to resist Wall Street's short-term focus and run losses for ages in the hopes of being able to turn the corner. And that was Amazon. They were the only company Jeff Bezos, the only CEO who was basically able to snub his nose at Wall Street. 
Everybody else falls in line, and Comcast is no different, and it's perfectly natural, understandable why they do so. So they have a big problem with Peacock that needs to be managed, and um, these decisions that they're making stem from the fact that they were, as we talked about before, very late to market with Peacock. They should mm -hmm. have been out there with their own mm -hmm. direct-to-consumer product way earlier than three years ago. The Netflix train had already long since left the station. The Hulu train had long since left the station. The Amazon Prime had long since left the station. The YouTube had already left the station. They were at least five years late, probably, maybe even more, to the party. And now they're paying the price for being a late entrant. And they're, I think, justifiably trying to figure out how to man manage the losses. So these are hard, hard decisions. As you said, by cutting loose the free tier, they know that they're going to be narrowing the funnel for paid services. They know it. There's a clear correlation between uh, offering, getting people, giving people the on-ramp of free service to cultivate them being a paid. They're going to cut loose that opportunity, which is not good for them short term. But I think they need to stem the losses and there's probably some, and I'm completely conjecturing now, but I think given how smart so many of the NBC Universal people are, I think they have some sense already of this concept of slow that I was introducing earlier in the podcast. I think they know it, that down the road, okay, the Kager on Fast may be X, and the Kager on SVOD may be Y, Part of the reason the Kager on SVOD is why is because there's a displacement effect, a slow effect that's going to happen in the SVOD market as a result of the success of FAS. There's a displacement thing that's going to start that probably already started. I mean, I remember for many years, Scott Rosenberg, who led the ad business at Roku every single quarter on the earnings call he would say, he would make sure to incorporate one specific point into his remarks, that the top search term in Roku was the term it's free, free. Yeah. free, free, free. Scott beat that point home every single quarter. Yep. And it's no different now. It's arguably even more appropriate now because of all this great content that's floating around fast, because we're in economic headwinds, we've had terrible inflation. There are huge layoffs that are happening, not just in the tech industry, but elsewhere. People are tightening their belts. Free services are only going to be more, more appealing to them. And SVOD is going to suffer. To me, that logic flow is very understandable. It should be very, you know, it should be very expected and understandable to people in the industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is such an interesting dynamic, Will. I think this concept of slow that we've been talking about, I think is a really important one. Uh, and I think there's possibly even evidence that it's happening in the market already, that we've seen a big slowdown in the in the growth, um, in the growth in the penetration of SVOD services and in the addition of SVOD services to people that already have them. There is no question whatsoever that fast services are beginning to garner a lot of viewership. Uh, Nielsen's including um, 
they're, in, they're including Pluto TV now in the list of services that they track when they're, when they're looking at viewing share. And it is a 1% share, but it's a significant share. Uh, that's obviously coming. Some of that viewing is coming from uh, traditional TV. But some of it also, I think, is coming from the SVOD services. Now, there's this really interesting dynamic as well going on with the investment now by free services in original content. So we're beginning to see them create original content to draw more eyeballs. They're being a lot more careful about how they spend their money than the SVOD services have in in the past. There's no $17 billion being plowed in in a year into uh, original content here, but there is significant money and they're making pretty decent, pretty darn decent shows. Uh, to get people to come so with this all of the as the backdrop it's interesting to think about exactly how much control big providers like disney like peacock like um you know nbc nbc and uh, paramount global can really have to slow the growth of the fast services you could you could argue that it is inevitable that we are going to see their growth and we're also going to see the growth of better quality quality content on those vehicles on the fast services so the slow effect that we're talking about i don't know that they have the paramount plus disney etc that they have the control to really slow it to slow the growth of those uh, fast services and avoid this slow effect that we're talking about with their direct-to-consumer services. I, I just don't know how much control they have. Well, beyond how much control they have is the question of how much control they even want to have, right? Because we know that the CTV, the connected TV advertising business, is exploding. It has the projected highest rate of growth in 2023 by eMarketer of any sector in the ad business. It's expected to grow another 20% despite all of the headwinds that the economy poses. Expected to grow another 20% to $27 billion in 21. You know, there is literally money everywhere even despite the slowdown in ad spending, money everywhere by advertisers looking to find a new home as a result of linear TV's collapse. Brand marketers need to achieve their reach and frequency goals if they're going to achieve their sales goals. If linear can't develop or deliver those points, those rating points, they have to move their money to places that can yeah. deliver. And that's what has caused the CTV business to explode in the past five years. Now, mostly brands are focused on their reach and frequency goals. But the other thing that's starting to develop is that CTV can be an effective lower funnel or full funnel medium as well. And we're going to be exploring that concept at uh, the uh, Video News' CTV advertising preview event, virtual event on February 28th. That potentially unlocks a lot of new spending for a variety of reasons. And that causes me to maybe be just a little bit more sanguine about fast continued growth and whether their growth will, despite prompting displacement or the slow effect on SVOD, 
will help CTV advertising to become ever more valuable. Uh, so there's a whole kind of line of thinking that I don't think we have time to get into for today. Uh, but that causes me to be a little more sanguine. But there's a lot that still has to go into making CTV a full, a true full frontal medium. Um, and in the meantime, you've got these media companies like Warner Brothers Discovery that has five billion, $50 billion of debt overhanging it. Yeah. So that they are compelled, never mind Wall Street's persistent attitude, longstanding attitude about short-term results. Warner Brothers Discovery has its own debt load to, to be concerned with. So they have a huge, they have a super intention or super need, if you will, to focus on the short term. And that's what I think leads to the Westworld fast decisions. And hmm. long term, I just, I don't, you know, I, I think it's a very murky picture how it all unfolds long term. Yeah, I agree. You know, this this slow effect, this SVOD loss is on the way because of the fasts. I really think that we have hit upon something here, Will, uh, that is a real effect. As I said, I mentioned the TiVo data. There's no question that more and more people are spending longer and longer with free services. Uh, and as Jeff Bezos liked to talk about that flywheel spinning, it's, you know, as more money comes in, more money is available to, to get better content and create better content. And you know, it's, it's a constant source of amazement to me that the broadcasters whose, who, whose origin lies in free television, over-the-air television, they constantly step away from the opportunity online, that they do not want, to, for whatever reason, to participate in free TV online. Uh, so we've seen Hulu withdraw its free tier. Now we're seeing Peacock, Peacock withdrawing its free tier. And uh, what one thing we know, as Scott Rosenberg knew and repeated constantly at Roku, is that free works. And if they are not willing to step into that opportunity, there are a lot of people who are willing to step in that opportunity. So... Well, let me just, uh, if I may, have the last word here because we need to wrap up yes, with two, yes, with two quick agree. thoughts. With two quick thoughts. One is that uh, for 40 plus years, the health of the TV industry, broadly speaking, has rested on a so-called dual revenue stream model, mm -hmm. both advertising and subscription, consumer payments. That was the core of the cable business, why it became as successful as it did. Yep. Dual revenue is important because content is very expensive to create. The subscription-only services like Netflix and Disney Plus have realized they need to incorporate and be advertising become a dual revenue model. What we're seeing now it, with the explosion of FAST is a gravitation toward a single revenue model, which to me is precarious. Last final thought today, and then they'll shut up, is that it's been a long, long time since I was in business school, and there aren't that many nuggets that I remember, but one nugget I very clearly remember in marketing class learning is this notion that companies train their customers. They train and condition their customers. If companies give away lots of great free content, they are conditioning their customers, their viewers, to expect lots of great free content and it 
becoming ever better over time. Deconditioning them to that is a very difficult process. Yeah. We are about to see Netflix try to decondition its subscribers, possibly more than 100 million of them, to not being able to share their passwords freely with every Tom, Dick, and Harry. It's going to be a very scratchy year for Netflix as it tries to navigate that, to try to decondition its viewers to something that they have come to expect from Netflix through their own conditioning. Yep. You let that genie out of the bottle, it's very hard to put back in. That's the way yeah. the world works. And that's why it takes a lot of sensitivity and strategic thinking by companies about what they want to do, because undoing is very difficult. Anyway, I think we have talked enough for one day. I know I've <laughs> talked enough for one day. I'm sure our listeners believe I've talked enough for one day. But we're yeah. going to be talking a lot more about fast and slow in the future. Uh, we've got a panel dedicated to it at the upcoming CTV video news upcoming CTV preview event. Uh, you're actually not going to be moderating that one. You're going to be moderating one that's equally exciting, which is we alluded to earlier about how CTV advertising is evolving to be full funnel, which I think is going to be fascinating. We have some yep. great part yep. speakers on that one as well. And I think we've kind of done as much as we have for one day, haven't we? I think we have. Well, we've probably worn out our listeners. Uh, it's been a great, <laughs> been a been a great session. Great session today, Colin. More to come. You bet. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.